This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. We've been talking about outpouring. I actually want to wrap up the series today. Um, and I want to talk about um, this idea of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, of the power of God. We've been talking about the preparation for that outpouring, positioning ourselves for that outpouring, what our posture should be. We talked about the power of the outpouring. But today I want to talk about the promise of that outpouring. And so I want to start by looking at a very interesting story in the book of Ezra. Um, so I'm going to take you on just a little bit of an Old Testament history journey today because I... I stumbled across something I found really, really interesting. And so I want you to just follow along with me. I'm going to kind of skip through it in, in parts. But I want to say first, Ezra, the name, actually means the Lord has helped. The Lord has helped. So his very name is a declaration that God is on his side, that God has helped. So as he's starting out his ministry, he's already declaring every time someone calls his name, every time he comes and introduces himself, he actually is declaring to the people that the Lord has helped. And it's in that tense. He has helped. He is on my side. He has already done his work. So we just need to partner up with him. Um, In the book of Ezra, six different times it actually talks about how the Holy Spirit kept stirring the people how the Holy Spirit kept stirring the hearts of the people. So I think there's something in here that's really interesting. So just to, uh, to give a little bit of background on the book of Ezra, um, the Israelites had been in Babylon, in bondage, in slavery, uh, in captivity for 60 years. Um, and how many can relate in life? Sometimes it's like we've lived as captives. For We may live in a place that has stuff, but inside we live as captives. And this is where Israel found themselves. They had food to eat and they had things to do, but they were still captives. They were not living in the promise of God. They were not in the, in the place where God intended them to be. And so as a result, they could not live out his promises because they were living within the limitations of the land. And that was not where God intended them to be. And so many times when we find ourselves in that kind of bondage, we have to go back and say, God, what is your actual promise? Where is it that you want me? But so what happens right in the beginning of this book, it says that the Lord stirs up the heart of King Cyrus of Persia. So they are in a foreign land. They're under King Cyrus. They're in Persia. And God stirs the heart of the king. I think that's incredibly interesting. He actually stirs the heart of a pagan king, and it says that he is to issue an edict for all the Jews that were willing to return from exile, to actually send them out, away from his own captivity, and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. How would you like uh, like it if someone came to you and said, here, I, I, I'm just going to release freedom over you. you just, I'm going to release your debt. I'm just going to let you go, and you go back to your original purpose. It's a pretty awesome opening to this book, right? So he actually puts out an edict, and he says, who is willing to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple? Do you want to know how many people responded? 49,897 people said, I'll go. How would you like that if we put out, like, how many would like to be involved in kids' church? 49,000 people! That was a shameless plug to say if you want to volunteer in kids' church, we could always take about four, 48,000 more. Um, so, you know, just putting it out there. Colleen doesn't even know, but she can thank me later. Um, so I want to... <laughs> 
I want to read to you from Ezra chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. It says, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests of the Levi, uh, priests and all the Levites, with all those, listen to this, whose spirits God had moved, arise, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things besides all that was willingly offered. So this is a pretty incredible story. We have 49, almost 50,000 people say, hey, I'll go. Now, you have to remember that they left everything they had at that point to go back to Jerusalem. And not only did the king bless them to go, but he actually sent them with provisions. And then it said... And then he gave this, that, and the other thing on top of what was already willingly offered. So they actually walked back with this abundance of supplies all because of a word that God stirred in the heart of a king. So can I tell you this morning, you may be facing a situation that you feel is absolutely impossible, but God can change it. God can stir the heart of your boss. God can stir the heart of your situation or the institution that you work for or go to or whatever it is that you find yourself in. God is greater. God is on the move. God is a big God. God is a good God. God's heart is for you, not against you. So God can move things around, shift people around. He can stir people's hearts that don't even know him in order to get you to the promise that he has for you. Do you realize that God wants his promises over your life more than you want your promises, his promises over your life? Wow, that was it. Blah, 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 blah. God wants his promise. See, I told you I would mess this up. God wants his promises over you more than you want his promises over you. That's what I meant to say. Did that come out right? Okay, good. Awesome. <laughs> I'm just going to move on. So, um, <laughs> um, so first, God stirs the heart of King Cyrus. Secondly, they come back to Jerusalem, and the work begins. So we find ourselves in Ezra chapter 3 at this point. And what's so interesting is now almost 50,000 people have gone back to Jerusalem. And look what verse 1 says. It says that the people gathered together as one man in Jerusalem. And as soon as I read that, I thought, Acts chapter 1. Wow. Welcome, God. That was such a good part of the message. He just, supernatural signs and wonders. Anyhow, those of you who didn't see it, there's things flying over here. Um, it really is just a fan, but oh well. Um, but what, what they said is basically, let's go, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's start this work. And so they were gathered, and it says, as one man. And I thought, Acts chapter 1, it says they were all gathered where? In Jerusalem. I actually think this is a prophetic picture of what was going to happen thousands of years later when people were gathered in one accord. They loved Hondas. No one got that. Okay. Uh, they were gathered in one accord. Um, but it sounds a lot like when the believers came together in Jerusalem. Thank you, Janice, for laughing at my corny joke. Um, but when the work began, they were not on their own. They were in one accord. They were with one heart, one spirit, one mind. And can I say that when the people of God unite to complete his work, to do what he has called us to do, there's absolutely nothing that is impossible. There's nothing that God can't do. There's nothing that he can't accomplish when we come together in unity and in purpose to say, God, we're here we're willing would you take us would you send us when a church of about 200 people say we want to touch our city we want to bless our city we want to do this can I say that there is no end to the influence that comes from what God can do when 200 people willingly come together and say pick us we'll do it I truly believe that what happened yesterday was just the starting 
of what God is going to do in our city. And we've done it for 10 years, and that is awesome. But we are starting to see some pretty amazing things. We had, I had some incredible uh, times yesterday with some people, some of them that have now been touched by this particular ministry for several years. And you know what they're doing now? They're starting to really trust us. They're starting to really actually open up and say, you know what, I recognize that I need more. And so we need to be willing to say, God, when we come together, and we work with one purpose for one thing. Then you've got our hearts. Now whatever you want us to do, let's do it. So what's interesting in Ezra is the people came together as one man, and they started to plan out how to do this. But there's this incredible little interesting verse. I actually don't have it on the screen, but it's found in Ezra 3, verse 6. And it says that before the foundation was even laid in the house of God. They hadn't even poured the foundation yet. They started praising God, and they started worshiping God, and they started declaring his goodness, because even though they couldn't see the result of the promise of God yet, they knew that the God who promises is faithful to complete it. Can I say that sometimes we wait way too long to give God the glory? We want to see it all accomplished. We want to see it all finished. We want to see that he worked it all out, and then we'll be like, yeah, thanks, God. Can I be honest? But God is looking for a people who knows his character. He's looking for a people that are willing to say, God, I know you're faithful. God, I know you're good. I may not see the end result of your promises yet, but I know that he who promised is faithful to complete it. I know that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I know that he is the beginner and the finisher of my faith. And so he's looking for a people that would join together in one accord, in heart, in purpose, in mind, and in spirit, and say, God, you are faithful. God, you are good. We may not see all the results yet, but we are going to praise you. We're going to thank you. We're going to believe in you. We're going to declare your goodness even before we see it. That's what God is looking for, and there's no end to what he can do. When we walk in the purpose of the Holy Spirit, we start to see what he already sees. We start to see his vision, and we come out of our own vision. We start to break out of our own limitations, and we start to see what God has already said, what God has already declared, and he starts to become a reality in our lives. But then they go ahead, and they actually pour the foundation. So they've had this awesome celebration, and they haven't even poured the foundation yet. But then look at what happens when they pour the foundation. In Ezra 3, verse 11, and then 13, it says, And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. And then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid wasn't even built yet, but they were so excited. They said, now we're coming back to the foundation. We're coming back so that we can stand on the very promise that he's given us. So once they pour the foundation, it says that they raised a great shout. And it says at the end of that verse, and the sound was heard afar off. Can I say, when the people of God get a hold of the promises of God, people will notice. People will see it. People will hear it. It may not even be complete yet, but when we join our hearts together and say, God, we want all of it. We want your entire outpouring. We want all your promises. We believe that you can do it. Then people will hear it afar off, and they will say, what's going on? Who is your God? Why can you have such faith? But we need to have our focus in the right place.
I had to look up this great shout in Hebrew just to see what it says. And um, the word for shout actually means a great shout, something ear-piercing, a great noise that cannot be ignored. It's speaking of jubilee. Can I say that it's time for us to not be ashamed of our God, but to raise up in a way a great shout that cannot be ignored, that cannot be uh, overlooked, but it's time for us to say, hey, wait a minute, we serve a great God, and we are standing on the foundation of his promises, and we know that he is faithful, and it cannot be ignored. I love that definition. It actually says it cannot be ignored. When we truly get a hold of God's promises in our lives. People can't ignore it. But you know who else hears it? This is the part we don't like. Our enemies. Right? So, so don't be surprised if God is doing some awesome things and then you encounter just a little wee bit of opposition. It's usually a good sign that God is on the move. So you don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. You, you know, actually, sometimes when I feel no opposition, I'm wondering if I'm doing anything. You know what I'm saying? Because when, when we're completely neutral to the enemy, it means that perhaps we're not accomplishing a whole lot. So that it's not a scary thing. It's just so that we're aware that sometimes when we start really marching forward and really advancing in the kingdom of God, the enemy is going to come with pushback. It comes with the territory. But our God is greater. Our God is bigger. Our God looks at that and he goes, no problem. Like, uh, anyhow, <laughs> I won't share that. Um, <laughs> Inside voices, Sandra, inside. See, I kept it inside. It was good. Um, <laughs> but the third thing that happened was <laughs> that we had opposition. They encountered opposition from the non-Jewish inhabitants of the land. So listen in Ezra 4, chapter 4, what they, verse 4, what they did. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building, and they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. To frustrate their purpose. Have you ever had that where you're like, you think you're advancing and then you're like, oh, I'm feeling confused and discouraged and frustrated and I don't know what's going on. Well, God is on the move. <laughs> well, then don't be discouraged because it just means that you're up against the enemy because you're doing something good. You're pushing forward and you're standing on the promises of God. It's actually a good thing. It doesn't sound like it. But can I say this? They sent, what they did is the, the people of the land, they came in and they basically said, hey, who told you to build that? And they're like, uh, uh, and at first they were just, they were just dumbfounded. They didn't know what to say, even though they could have just easily gone back and said, oh, well, we had a decree from the king, but they, they didn't really know what to say. So what they, what the people of the land did, they sent a letter to King Artaxerxes, like, can you, you're a JK kid, don't name them, them Artaxerxes, because that's a really horrible name to spell. So I'm going to call him King Artie, okay? Um, so they send a letter to King Artie, um, who was the king of where they were. And he immediately commanded them to seize the work. And they did. At one threat, first threat, they just decided to seize the work because of the enemies mocking. They forgot who promised who gave them the promise in the first place. Can I say, we need to rise above the enemy's mocking. When he comes and goes, wah, 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 we need to go, uh-uh. Isn't this deep? Like, can you write that in your notes? Wah, wah, uh-uh. Okay? 
Two A's. Two A's. Um, <laughs> but when the enemy comes, I can see you're all like, wow, you're so deep today, Sandra. <laughs> it's, the, it's the day after Hands of Hope. You get what you get. Okay, but what, but what the enemy... But what the enemy is doing is he's coming and he's trying to discourage us. He's trying to frustrate us. And if we lose sight of God's original promise, then he can actually have influence enough for us to cease God's work. So if we forget his promise, we will forget our purpose. If we forget his promise, we will forget our purpose. But then, but God, I love those little, but then something happens. And, and for those of you who want to know your Bible history, the entire book of Nehemiah that talks about the building of the wall happens in between these verses. So between Ezra chapter 4 and Ezra chapter 5 is the entire book of Nehemiah. So just so that you know the timeline chronologically, that's when they come in to discourage and dismay, and, and then the people have to keep building with a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other hand, and all that happens right here because they got so discouraged at first they ceased the work, and then they tried to like do double duty, and then that didn't really work out, and so that's where the book of, of Nehemiah fits in. But then God decided to raise up his prophets so there's two prophets that lived during this time. They, it was the prophet Zechariah and the prophet Haggai. And what they did is they came in with a prophetic voice. Can I say, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of God to bring a word in season when we are working for God, when we are walking in his promises, when we are walking in his purpose. We need the super on our natural. It's not just enough for us to see with our natural vision. We need to see his vision. It's not just enough for us to work with our hands. We need his work in our hands. We need his super on our natural. And so I'm so thankful that God knows exactly what we need when we need it. So he sends Zechariah and Haggai into this very situation. Now the work has ceased. They are kind of paralyzed with fear. They don't know what to do. And so Haggai and Zechariah come in, and they remind the people of God's promise. And they literally say, hey, did King Cyrus not say that you could do this? And they're like, oh, uh, yeah, he kind of did. And so now they're actually working, because there's quite a timeline here. They're working under Zerubbabel. That's another name you shouldn't give your child. Um, but they're working under Zerubbabel. That's now the governor of Judah. And so now the people, the Jews, actually go back to him. And let's read in Ezra chapter 5. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, the prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judea and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. See, they're bringing it right back to who is over you. There's not a land, a king of the land that can tell you what to do and what not to do. Not when you have God's promise over your life. So you actually, they're actually coming back and they're saying, they're pro we're prophesying to you today. We're speaking into you today in the name of the Lord our God who is over you. He is greater. He can succeed and exceed anything and everything we can even think of. So can I say this? In order to counter the discouragement they were feeling, they went back to their original source. And they actually said to Zerubbabel, would you go back and look for that letter? And so they actually went back. They looked for the King Cyrus's letter, and they found the original letter. And then he's like, uh, they already have clearance. This is a command given by a king. So you can go ahead. So in the midst of all this, just because of one prophetic word, it's like it shook the people up to go, oh, yeah, 
We serve God, not people. So what he said actually supersedes what men say. And so when they went back to the original promise, what happened is that immediately the work picked up and they actually finished building the temple. Let's read in Ezra 6, verse 6 and 7. And then um, they come back when the, when the king finds uh, the original letter. It says, keep, he says to, the king says to the enemies of the land, keep yourselves far from here. Let the work of this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God on its site. How would you like that? For God to just bring someone in and say, hey, leave them alone. They're doing the work of God. Don't you touch them. They're doing the work of God. But it doesn't just stop there. Um, They actually continue, and he commanded the people of the land who were once their enemies to give provisions for the temple, for their salaries, and not just that. He commanded them to give them everything they needed so that they could offer and sacrifice to their God. Can I say we serve a great God? He will not only make a way for you, he will provide abundantly for you. He will provide abundantly for you, but we need to hold on to the promiser. So many times people go chasing the promises that they forgot to focus on the promiser. And then they forget the original promise that the promiser gave them and they forget their purpose. So can I say, if we are living in the outpouring of the Spirit of God, if we're living in the full purpose of what he wants for us, we have to keep our eyes focused on the promiser and not get lost in the shuffle. So the end result is that they finish the temple, then they purify themselves. This is like a super quick wrap-up of the book of Ezra. If you want the long version, come see me. Um, But they finish the temple, then they purify themselves. Can I say this? Purification always comes before promise. Purification always comes before promise. So not only do you need to position yourself, you actually have to purify yourself so that you can be fully clear for God's promise to take place in your life. And then thirdly, they separated themselves. It says in Ezra 6.21, which is not on here, it says they separated themselves from the filth of the nations around them. Can I say this morning, we need to be different. Sometimes we become so apologetic because we want to fit in and we want to be able to relate to people and reach people. And I'm not talking about being unrelatable, but I am talking about us being a light in the darkness, a salt and a light where people can go and say, there's something different about you, that we can separate ourselves from the filth of the nation around them, from the filth of our culture. We don't need to be like that. We don't need to live like that. We need to be little lighthouses for Jesus that are shining our light around so that when people are lost in darkness, they can go and they can see there's the light. I'm going to go there. Can I say, don't be afraid to separate yourself. Because when you purify yourself and when you separate yourself, you set yourself up for God's promise over your life. Ezra 6.22 says, after they had done this and separated themselves, they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord made them joyful, and he turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them. Now they've got the king of Assyria on their side to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. God can turn even your enemies around to help you fulfill God's promise. Isn't that awesome? Are you guys awake this morning? Okay, because you're like, uh-huh. Okay, so you are awake. That's good. I'm, I'm so happy to hear. You're like, what? Can you spell Zerubbabel? Um, but <laughs> I'm not even going to try today. So, um, But can I say, the enemy comes to bring discouragement so that we lose heart. He brings distraction 
so that we lose our purpose and our distinctive. And he brings intimidation so that we lose our perspective and trust. But it's time for the people of God to choose who they listen to and to rise up to God so that we can be encouraged by God's promise, so that we can stay on task and not let the enemy distract us. And finally, that we can trust God completely because then we do not have to fear. I love that song we sing, Tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. I keep singing that verse over and over again, or that song, and every time I sing it, I hear him say, all you need is the whisper of my name. When we trust him, fear has to flee. The darkness actually trembles. If you don't know how to pray, if you don't know what to say, just to say the name of Jesus. There's such power in that name. If you don't know what God's promises really uh, are over your life, then just declare Jesus over your life because it actually says in the Bible that every promise is yes and a man in Christ Jesus. So if you just pray, thank you, Jesus, I just want more of you, you're going to just automatically get his promises if you just declare Jesus and separate yourself and you cleanse yourself and you purify yourself and you say, God, my heart is yours and yours alone. Then you're going to start to see those promises trickle in to your life. Can I say, as the church, we are God's temple. And God's temple must be built and sustained, not by our own works, not by our own effort, but by the power of God alone. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the New Testament version of the book of Ezra saying, separate yourself. You are a holy nation. You are a chosen people. And you can proclaim and shout the praises of your God so that people around cannot ignore it. That's who we are. So we need to rise up and be everything that God wants us to be. The question is, how can we regain the courage to follow the voice of God. What did they do when they were building God's house? See, Zechariah, who was the prophet, he lived under this time of Zerubbabel, who was the governor. What, what could be his nickname? Zebi. There you go. Uh, he was the, Zebi, the governor of Judah. It's like the VeggieTales version, Rakshak and Benny. Um, but anyhow, but Zechariah actually came in, and, and he, he decided to forbid them from trusting in their own resources. And here comes a verse that's been so quoted, but I just want to give you the context of this verse. It's when the people are standing there and they're going, well, how are we going to do this? Zechariah 4, verse 6 comes in right here. And this is the context of it. It says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Can I say, when we come and we go, God, I don't know how to fulfill your promises. I don't know how to walk in my purpose. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it is by his spirit. So can I say we cannot live all that God has for us. We cannot live in the full purpose of God. If we do not on a daily basis say, God, I need you. Holy Spirit, would you come? That picture that we had yesterday for those, uh, yeah, last week, for those of you who were there, that talked about the outpouring, how God keeps pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring so that all the guck and all the stuff comes out of us. And then he pours more and then he pours more and then he pours more. It's because he wants there to be a constant outpouring of his spirit of God on our lives so that it's not by our own might. It's not by power. It's not by our own strength, but it is is only by his spirit. He just wants us to be hungry. He just wants us to ask. 
And I, I promise you, when you ask, he will not disappoint. He's saying that if we rely on the true source, the original source, the Spirit of God, then we can hold on to his promise. We don't build on our own intelligence, our own programs, our own strength. We build best if we rely on his promise. Because it's yes and amen in him. So I want to share three last things, and they are actually quick. Um, <laughs> the three things that happens when we come back to these promises. If we hold on to the promise of the Holy Spirit, I believe that we will pray fervently. Uh, sorry, pray persistently. James 5 verse 16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The Amplified says that that prayer is dynamic and can have tremendous power. When we start tapping into the actual purpose of God and position ourselves to walk um, in, in communion, daily communion with him, we start tapping into his promises, and our prayers change from those begging kind of prayers. God, if you really kind of love me, I'm not sure you do, but if you care, then perhaps you could maybe help me. And there's a boldness and a persistence that comes upon you. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but there's times that I'm believing for something and I'm like, God, I know you promised. I know you promised and I know you're faithful. So I am not giving up. And I say, uh-uh, to the enemy, uh-uh, you're not going to have this one because I'm going to persistently keep praying. I'm going to persistently keep believing. I'm going to persistently keep declaring the promise of God over this situation, over this person, over this family member, over that lost person, over the person that is far from God, over the person that has a hardened heart, over the situation that seems absolutely impossible, because I know that you are the source. You are my help. You are my strength. You are the promiser. And so our prayer life changes. If we truly get a hold of this, we can walk in such boldness that darkness will tremble. Can you imagine being in the upper room? They didn't know how long it was going to take. Jesus just says, hey, wait for my promise. Can I say they needed to pray persistently? Like after an hour, we'd be like, okay, God, um, so I want to go have lunch now. All right, that would be us. Um, okay, I need a Timmy's run now. Um, okay, it's actually been like 14 hours now. I need Starbucks. Uh, come on, Jesus. Right? You know how we are, right? Okay, so none of you are like that. Okay, so <clears throat> that was really embarrassing. Um, but anyhow, so, but you know, when we come to those places and we think that if it doesn't happen now, then we've missed it. Can I say they needed to pray persistently? And God said, just wait. Well, how will we know? Like Cameron said last week, how will we know? Oh, you'll know. But don't give up on your prayers until you see the promise of God fulfilled. Don't give up because God is faithful. He will complete what he started. And so when we tap into the Holy Spirit, then it's not even you praying. It's him praying through you. It's not even you believing. It's him stirring his faith in your heart to believe for the very thing that he desires. So can I say when we tap into his promise, we learn to pray persistently. The second thing is we learn to share confidently. We learn to share confidently because we realize uh, Luke 14, 23 says, Then the master said to his servants, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Can I say God wants his house to be filled? And if we don't tap into his purpose and his will and his plan and his thoughts for people, then we don't really care. 
But when we start to tap into his purpose, we start to see that God wants this house to be filled. God wants every church in Kingston to be overflowing so that we need to build more churches to host more people and more people can go out and reach more people because he wants his house filled. Can I say when we tap into the purpose of God, we cannot ignore the great commission that says, go out and win this world for me because he wants people to be reunited with him. The purpose of the power of God is not so that we can have a little shusha moment. The purpose of the power of God is to extend the kingdom of God on earth and to expand its borders. And then when they are stretched out, we need to expand them some more. That's his purpose. It's not just for us. The promise of God is that we would reach into the world around us. Acts chapter 1-8 says just this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. What happened in the upper room did not stay in the upper room. It went out into the streets and it went out and it empowered the people out there that didn't even know about Jesus. Can I say when we tap into the promise of God, it does not stay with us. The city of Kingston needs to hear that there's a God who is still alive, still real, and that loves them relentlessly. I'm going to skip down to number three. We live abundantly. Romans 4.17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then Paul goes on in the next chapter, and he says, and if you didn't get that, I want to add to it and say, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, we have righteousness, we have peace, we have joy, we have hope. And then in 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, he goes on to say, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Can I say God wants nothing less than for us to have all those things in our lives and then pour that into those around us. Living in the promise of the Holy Spirit is to live for more than what we see. When we started this series, we started talking about more. But can I say not just more power for power's sake? It's more so that we can have the authority to actually extend and expand the kingdom of God right in your own sphere of influence. And when we understand and hold on to the promise, then we'll start to experience that abundant life that Jesus spoke about in John 10.10 when he says, The thieves come only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may enjoy life, and the implement says, and have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. That's the promise. And it's not limited to you and me. That is the promise for every recipient that we gave a bin to yesterday. That is the promise for every coworker you have for every neighbor that you have. But we need to come back to the original promise and realize that God wants us to live in a constant flow of his presence, of his power. And like the book of Ezra, we need to come back to the original source and receive every promise that he has given us so that we can experience that it's not just by might, not just by, spirit, by power, but it is truly his spirit in us 
that can accomplish everything that he has told us to do. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 